0: Now, let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome, everybody. This is CJ Wolf, Healthicity's senior compliance executive, and welcome to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Stephanie Scott. Welcome, Stephanie.
0: Thank you for having me, CJ.
1: Glad to have you here. Stephanie is Healthicity's Vice President of Audit Services, and she's got great expertise, great teams that she works with, and a lot of exposure across the country, so we thought it'd be a great idea to kind of pick her brain a little bit about what's what's new, or what's kind of going on, or what are the main issues. Sometimes they're not new, right? Sometimes it's the that's same right. issue over and over, that's isn't right. it? That's <laughs> right. But it's, it worth, it's worth repeating when that's the case, so... Um, Stephanie before we get started with some of my specific questions wondered if you just let our listeners know a little bit more about you you know what's your work experience been and what have you done and who have you worked for and those types of things
0: sure happy to do that Um, I've been in the healthcare arena for 20 plus years and I've had the opportunity to work in a lot of different locations I've done long-term care hospital multi-specialty practice physician groups um, I've also worked for a major EMR vendor, and uh-huh. so it's been nice to have that background yeah. at, at the different locations. In um, all of those, I've I primarily have done health information management, okay, or profi coding and documentation services.
1: Okay, so credential wise, I think you have kind of that AHIMA credentialing as well as some coding credentialing. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep, or, what correct. are those credentials that you?
0: I have an RHIT okay. and the CPC. Great.
1: Well, very good. And you lead a team here at Healthicity. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the team that you lead, and and just maybe a high level overview of what you guys do?
0: Sure. Um, we are. We do a lot of coding and documentation audits. Okay. We do risk adjustment audits. We do production coding as well. We've got a team here in the Salt Lake office, and we also uh, many of our team members are across the country. So yeah. we have a, a very diverse team that. Uh, It's kind of challenging. They have different time zones and schedules that they work, but it's kind of to our benefit because our customers are across the country as well. And so we're able to kind of pair up a a team for each of our customers.
1: Yeah. And what I love about the folks that you um, interact with uh, on your team is, you know, let's say a client has specific needs for a very specific specialty. You can usually find anybody. That has expertise in that specialty, right?
0: That's right, because we also backfill our team with contract support as well. So if there's one of my team members don't have that particular skill set, or maybe they're pulled off on another project, we have access to other AAPC members with those credentials that we'll pull in.
1: And I think that's really important. You know, when I was um, a compliance director, billing compliance director, you know, we had a lot of our on-staff folks knew how to do E&M coding and some of those kind of routine type of mm-hmm. things. But what if you had, like, otolaryngology oncology? You know, a very specific type of specialty. You guys can usually find somebody that's that has right. those experiences. So that's really great. So – um one of the some of the questions I wanted to ask Stephanie have to do with the fact that she has clients all over the country and so not only does she have expertise in coding and auditing but you kind of see trends like you see and you know when I was working and I was just in my bubble of my institution you know I had a lot of knowledge of my institution but I didn't always know the ins and outs of what my peers were doing mm-hmm. so I think you guys have an advantage there you see you know maybe from academic medical center to academic medical center you see what the differences are, what the trends are, and that kind of thing.
0: That's right, and and it's interesting that you say that, CJ, because um, I was just recently asked that question: is what are some of the new trends we're seeing with auditing? And yep. they're kind of the same old things, okay. to be quite honest. You know, uh, doctors are missing the family history or a review of systems or medical decision making. Um, there's you know differences in those areas, um, but where we're seeing Changes or differences in the types of audits mm-hmm. that folks are performing. I mean, most folks are beyond the baseline. Okay. Let's just do a straight ENM random sampling audit. They're doing more at risk audits. They're identifying okay. as an organization where their risks are. Is okay. it higher dollar or is it high volume for a particular service or code?
1: Or maybe that yeah, or maybe a government agency has put it on a work plan, and so That's rather right. than you know, I guess I always thought that kind of those, those baseline audits are good, but after you've done one or two of those, it's really good to focus in on those risk areas and be able to say, you know what, we thought a little bit more about this and we really want to focus on these kinds of services. Well,
0: especially if you've got a seasoned audit compliance plan right. and your providers, you've seen that incremental right. improvement. Right. So now we're you What do you do next? you do your at risk audits.
1: Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. good. Well, when you're doing some of those audits and you've got a, a team of auditors, you know, what do you recommend and how to deliver post audit education to let's say a difficult provider? You know, I've worked in that field where we had docs who were difficult and even nurses and whoever the provider may be. How do you deal with that? How do you recommend your auditors do it as well as maybe other auditors that are in-house?
0: Gosh, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> um, I always tell my staff when you know they come to me and say, hey, I know I, this is going to be a really hard delivery of audit education for this provider. What do I do? Well, first and foremost, you've got to make sure you're prepared. Right. You know, make sure that that you've reviewed the audit. You know where those opportunities are, and you know where they did well. Yeah. And because sometimes it's it's about your approach of, gosh, I know this doctor is going to be hard to talk to, so, you know, approach it lightly at the beginning. Not, sure. You know, not from an attack. Say, hey, oh, my gosh, this is where you did really good on your audit. Right. And then slide into maybe some of some of those opportunities.
1: I like what you said about be prepared, because I... You know, I oversaw a team of coding auditors as well at at one point in my career, and I would always tell them, I'm like, those doctors, if you make mistakes, and if you're presenting to them mistakes, they're going to pick up on that, and then they're just not going to listen or trust. And that makes it even more difficult when you already have a difficult message to deliver. So be prepared. Make sure your audit is squeaky clean, right? That you've got your backup, you've done it right, you're confident, And what you're going to do is that sort of thing, right?
0: Yeah, because if if you do find a mistake after, you know, the whole audit's gone through, the auditor, the reviewer, and the educators going in and and perhaps they look at a note and have a different perspective on what they're seeing, change it before you get there. Let them know that, hey, you looked at it again. Yep. And they're going to have more respect for you if, you if you let them know that, hey, I went ahead and made a correction.
1: Well, and I like what you said, and it, may, it assumes some things. You said the reviewer. So the auditor has done it and the reviewer has done it. I don't know if a lot of our listeners um, exercise that and practice that, that some of them might just do the audit and present the results. But you should have some sort of review process so that you have another set of eyes looking at it if possible, or maybe at least a, a, a portion of them. So that um, you're getting some QA.
0: Yeah, we we have that as a standard process within okay. audit services.
1: Great. Well, cool. Um, so now what about, what if the physician doesn't trust the auditor? You know, what what does the auditor do? So, I mean, that's kind of hard.
0: It is, especially if maybe somebody else, another auditor has come in before, this they don't trust the situation. profession.
1: It might not be the person. They might not trust the That's profession, true. right?
0: It, 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 right. Maybe they've gotten some, some bad information in the past or inconsistent information. So now all of a sudden, like, well, I'm not going to trust yeah. the coder. I'm not going to trust the auditor. That's a little challenging. Again, you've got to look at the results of the audit beforehand and decide, okay, where's the biggest opportunity that I can make a difference in helping this physician? Right. And then when you go in... Um, you should never use pronouns, your documentation. Yes. You did not do X, Y, Z. very
1: personal, doesn't it?
0: It does. And so you want to kind of take that away and perhaps say, gosh, in reviewing your note, I didn't see the past family history. Let's look at, at okay. it together. Or um, ask the doctor, okay, this note, the level of medical decision-making didn't support what was reported, but help me understand from a clinical perspective. So now all of a
1: sudden... you're You're making an invitation for them to teach you a little bit, but you're getting your message across.
0: That's exactly right. So now all of a sudden the approach is completely different and they're like, oh, they're here for me to teach them. Yes.
1: Yes. And you can still get your message across and he can say, well, I did this, this, and this oh, well, that's great. I didn't see you did. It sounds like you may have done that in your head and, and you did the work and the mental thinking, but I didn't see it here in the documentation. Can you show me where it is? Oh, well, I don't see it either. Well, yeah, that's kind of why I had, you know, that's why the guidelines say this has to be a level three instead of a four or something like that.
0: That's exactly right. And a lot of those physicians too, sometimes um, like I just had a scenario last week where one of my auditors uh, we had been reported that they were doing training with this physician, and this physician had been on the re-audit schedule multiple times because okay. he just wasn't passing his audit. So finally, the trainer just you know put the paperwork down and said, okay, I'm never seeing past family history being documented. He said, well, I ask it, the, the patient. And so she asked him, well, walk me through what you're the doing. steps that you're doing and come to find out... This was a cardiologist, and the question of family history of cardiovascular disease, the button on the EMR template was right there on the left side of the screen, yes, but there, he couldn't see the button for no. Oh. And-
1: So when it was a no, he wasn't, he wasn't finding yeah, it, so it didn't get documented in the EMR. That's
0: exactly right. Okay, and she so said, well, wait a minute, just scroll over a little bit. Let me see what else is on that page. And there it was- Clear far over on the left. He just didn't know
1: it was there. Yeah, he knew he was asking it and he reviewed it, but it just didn't get it to paper or electronic paper.
0: Right. So so they quickly pulled in the manager, and apparently they were able to get someone to change it on the template so he can document uh, that now. Good. So think about now the trust yeah. the physician's going to have because you took you that extra him time. Or her, right. That's right. Yeah,
1: you know, I found that to be true as well is that if you assume good intent, Nine times out of ten, you're going to end up helping somebody. You know, if somebody has that malintent, I guess you'll eventually find it. And and it's probably not the auditor that's going to have to be the heavy in that case anyway. It's going to be uh, elevated up. That's a good point. You know, but if you're assuming good intent, most of the time you're going to have a good learning experience and then you instill that trust, like you're saying. That's important because the docs won't listen to you if they don't trust you. That's right. So, okay, how about, um, are, do you have your auditors and do you recommend kind of different approaches um, depending on the provider's score? So, like if, you know, if they had scored really well or is it really poorly, are there different approaches you do?
0: I do. I, I recommend to them, Let's let's take a provider that perhaps has had a baseline audit. So your approach with that provider, that first meeting is going to be first and foremost to build a relationship and build that trust initially. So you're never gonna get through the laundry list of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So you've gotta, you know, introduce yourself, get acquainted, build some trust right off and pick the the biggest one to two things there you go. Yeah. opportunities that then you can help that provider to improve upon or gotcha. you know educate that provider on and have additional documentation there little handouts or something for that provider um, and then the next time you can compliment on that he or she did better or yeah. didn't and what went wrong what else can right. you look at so it, you know each time you're building with that, physician and and getting them to to change their behavior if yeah needed.
1: maybe not start with the nitpicky stuff right it's like look if i did 10 encounters and five out of the 10 were missing a part of the review of systems you can kill that one bird with that one stone and you get five out of ten.
0: Oh, i have to tell right? you yeah i have to tell you an example that just happened last week to me um we we'd perform regular compliance audits for a particular group and then their staff do the education. Okay. Well, I had the manager give me a call and, and there was a particular provider where it just went terribly wrong, and the provider ended up stomping out of the room. And and they oh. asked us, Hey, would you kind of come in and, yeah. and do the post-audit education for this provider? And I asked, Well, what happened? And and this provider was known to be challenging. The overall score wasn't too bad. I think it was 80%. So out of 10 records, that wasn't too bad. Um, But the approach was immediately, well, you didn't document the chief complaint, but it could be inferred in the record. Okay. So right off the bat, the physician
1: was... was, Put up the the defenses and...
0: Right, because it was, you didn't document the chief complaint.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, I liked what you said about that earlier about not using those pronouns and saying, I couldn't find a chief complaint. Because sometimes you don't know, maybe they've set up a system where the nurse is supposed to document that chief complaint or document parts of the history that are acceptable, right? And so you you don't want to be accusatory. You don't want to accuse people.
0: Right. Well, and it come to find out that the note was actually down at the bottom. So the physician portion was documented clear down at the bottom of the note. Okay. But before they ke- could even get there, the physician was on the defensive. Yeah. And and, and the trainer had lost yes. the opportunity for education by that point. Yes. And then the physician wasn't willing to. Yeah. Good points. To, to continue the conversation. So it's all kind of about that approach.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Do you think that happens because... The person who is, in this scenario, the person who is educating was not the person who did the audit? Like they just took someone else's audit results? Or does that not make a difference? Do
0: I, I think in this case... Um the the auditor well the manager told me that the auditor knew that this position was going to be difficult okay. and was very nervous okay, yeah. and uh. and was just going through the laundry list of opportunity gotcha. rather than selecting the items that that really could make a difference yeah
1: so it's that anticipation can sometimes make you nervous and shoot, sure. you shoot yourself in the foot
0: yeah so it, again it, they <laughs> they've got to go back and and rebuild that trust yeah before they, they can have a successful post audit education with that provider.
1: So we kind of talked about some of the things like if there's an obvious piece of the encounter missing, what about when it's kind of close? So, you know, how do you address audit results when there's maybe one over coded ENM level or one undercoded? And sometimes those are black and white, but sometimes they're kind of gray. Sure. So as the, you know the doc or the provider is getting really close to what you think it should be, how do you deal with those kinds of results?
0: Again, we're not clinicians, and so I always like to do it as an education for me so that I can learn as an auditor. So I like to find out from the physician, okay, tell me what you were thinking. Why did you think this was a higher medical decision-making? You know, help me understand what cognitive thought process went into that perhaps to make it over. Because if you've got one over, one under, then it sounds like that provider's probably doing it correctly most right. of the time. It's just, just these subjective piece. cases, okay. these one off patients, right? So I I try and flip it to make it an educational opportunity for me. And then we can dive into that specific patient yeah. to see if there was additional opportunity there or not.
1: I think that's a good approach because docs, I think in general, they may be kind of strong willed, but if if they're approached in a way of saying, you know, kind of like you're saying, teach me a little bit, they usually open up. Um, oh, I didn't. You know, even if you do know it, <laughs> you know that's you're right. kind of stroking their ego a little bit. And who cares? Because if you if it gets you through what you're trying to accomplish, then so be it. Um, and and they can sometimes open up and oh, I'll, let me let me show you. And you, like you said, you learn something.
0: You know, that's right. And who who knows? Maybe it's an EMR issue. Well, exactly. I I actually talked about that with the patient, but there was nowhere to to put. There was nowhere to, where to click it. And then you whatever. solve
1: it, and now we've come full circle. You know, you're building trust again with the provider, and you get better. Um, what? But what about those providers? And I think they're few. Maybe your experience is different, but there are some that are just bad apples. You got some of those,
0: sure. What do you do there? Sure. <laughs> again,
1: I. <I'm laughs> and, just- and you know, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush, but in any profession, there's people that don't do what they're supposed to do. Th-
0: th- that's right. I mean. Especially if the provider has someone else doing part mm-hmm. of the, the coding for them in the background, mm-hmm. a lot of them will view it's a waste of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have certainly have had my fair share of providers that have kind of been, quote, bad apples. Right. Um, e- again, you just got to be prepared and, and make sure that they understand you're there to help. Mm-hmm. You're not there to criticize. You're not there to give them a scorecard. You're mm-hmm. just there to help. And then pick your battles. Pick the one or two opportunities you want to talk about mm-hmm. um, and leave the others.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I, I've i just had to, with some that are just defiant, and they will have nothing to do with the report, and they'll say, this is why healthcare is so poor now, and this is why we're all going to, you know, wear in a handbasket and it's just the world is ruined. Sometimes I just have to say, look, I didn't make these rules up. That's right. <laughs> I didn't sit around on a weekend because uh, sometimes they attack you personally. Um, and I just have to say, look, I, I didn't make this up. This, these are what the rules are. They are what they are. Your organization's policy is this. Um, there are ways to address that. I'm not the one that can really address those types of issues. I just want to make sure that you understand the results here um, I want to make sure I didn't miss something and I need to pass these results on to the appropriate party and then they'll deal with it. I agree. Sometimes you just have to kind of hold your ground and sometimes just say, look, this is what it is. And if your organization's going to follow through on their policies, then they'll they'll do what they're going to do. That's right. You're not necessarily the ex- necessarily the executioner. So let me ask you something else. That uh, what? So what other trends are you seeing, or are they the, kind of the same old things? If you know, if you had to pick, because you guys get exposure all across the country in all sorts of different settings, what would you say? You know, the two or three biggest things are, um, in general, that providers could work on.
0: Um, we see with hospital initial visits. Okay. That they're not getting the, the family history. When when mom or grandma is 103 years old, clinically, is that patient's family history really medically necessary yeah. or even make a difference at this point in time with, with right. that patient? Right. I mean, I, I get that from physicians all the time, and I understand that. But like you just said, the, the documentation guidelines require right. those elements. And so... I always like to discuss with physicians. Okay, let's make it easy. What is in your mind? Why did this patient present, and what would be relevant? You don't need to go through so, a full family history. Yeah. So,
1: what could in that example? What would be something that they might say that you've heard them say, like
0: heart disease, dementia, perfect. things like that. So
1: something quick and easy, and then you can count that, right?
0: Right. So, so we still see a lot of of um, opportunity there. Um, same with review of systems. Something that's kind of been Coming up, just the the last several years that I've been auditing, is this language in the EMRs that a twelve point review of system is documented or a ten point yeah. review of system well, then where is, is documented? <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> is that the systems, case?
0: <laughs> what systems? Exactly.
1: What's twelve? like where is it?
0: <laughs> right, and so the argument is, well, that's the same as saying all other systems are negative. Well, yeah, it's it's not. not quite the same. Yeah. It, it has a little bit of a different meaning. So. But we're seeing that pop up, and I don't know if it's an EMR thing oh, that or terminology that, right. that's, you know, they're clicking something they right. think means all of others is negative, and that's right. the, the statement on the, the output. I don't know. So,
1: yeah, because when I was doing a lot of this on a day-to-day basis, we would teach docs that look mention the few pertinent positives and negatives that's that right. apply to the HPI and then say all others negative if you did all of them. And I'm not telling people to lie, but if they actually did all the others. And that's still is that still valid Absolutely. to give you a full review of systems? Good. So that hasn't really changed in my
0: No, <laughs> in it's just years. that wording we're yeah, seeing. Yeah, but it's
1: saying the right words in a way.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and then, of course, medical decision-making. That's always mm-hmm. so subjective. It particularly is. Particularly for auditors.
1: Um, yeah, that can be a hard one. I, I remember one where um, I, the scenario was – because a lot of people – think that, oh, if a, a, this certain chief complaint can never be a level 4 or never be a level 5. And I always gave the example of a headache. Well, some headaches, you know, chief complaint, headache. Patient 1, chief complaint, headache. Patient 2, chief complaint, headache. Well, in patient 1, the headache always starts on uh, Monday morning, gets worse around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. When they get home and their, their spouse rubs their neck, the headache goes away. Uh, They never get the headache on vacation. They never get the headache on the weekend. Okay, that's probably a stress headache, right? Right. It's probably not a high level of medical decision making. That's patient one. But patient two with the same chief complaint of headache, you know, if the patient has polymyalgia rheumatica, which is PMR, they have um, an elevated SED rate and they had vision changes in one eye and pain just over the temple in one eye. And that was, but their chief complaint was still headache. Well, that could be temporal arteritis, which, left untreated, can cause blindness. So your medical decision making can be so different. So what do you tell people who say, "Oh, a chief complaint of headache can never be a level five or or whatever the chief complaint is"? There
0: is not I mean, a one size right? fits all exactly. here. You Every say, patient is going to be different.
1: Yeah, and that medical decision making, like you said, in the scenario I just described, it really just depends.
0: Absolutely. Right? It, it depends, depends on, what, on
1: their history mm-hmm. and what contributing factors there are because medically, that headache could indicate something much more significant in one patient than another.
0: Well, even if you say patient one, if they said this is the worst headache ever, mm-hmm. that's a completely different exactly. medical decision making. Isn't it, right?
1: right? Or it woke me up during the night versus you know the scenario I described where, yeah, it's just kind of dull and it's a two on a scale of one to ten and it's only when I'm at work, (laughs) right? Or it's only when I'm babysitting the kids. (laughs) So, yeah, medical decision-making, I'm not sure there's ever an easy way to... Now, one last question, we're kind of getting towards the end of our time. Any thoughts on the difference of medical decision-making and medical necessity? Because, you know, some people... Medical decision-making is kind of a there's somewhat of a formula in the guidelines to help you get points and that sort of thing. Whereas whether it was medically necessary to begin with is not always in the E&M guidelines, right? That's more of a medical determination. And you're not necessarily doing that when you're auditing a code. Is that right?
0: That's right. I have a really good example for that scenario. Um, I actually was auditing a physician and the client submitted 20 dates of service. Okay, And I had two patients where they submitted anywhere between three to five sequential dates of service. So this patient had a uh, problem with their toe with a lot of pain. Two days later was seen again, and it ended up being cellulitis. And then it progressed, and they decided the patient had gout. Well, the doctor was documenting a comp history, and comp exam for all five visits, okay. even though it took place over a two-week period of time. Interesting. Um, but the medical decision-making, although it was getting worse, he was only addressing one problem. Uh-huh. So this particular organization and their Medicare MAC carrier allows for you not to require MDM as two out of the three com- key components. And gotcha. that's how... The provider was coding based on history and exam.
1: Gotcha on those subsequent visits.
0: Right. Well, I downcoded those subsequent visits because of the the nature of the presenting problem. Okay. Didn't appear that it was medically necessary to capture a comp history uh, and gotcha. comp exam yeah, for exactly. those subsequent visits.
1: Good point. Yeah. So, and I think you pointed out an important part is you know looking at your MAC and really reading their newsletters and their education and guidance to get a sense of. Do they require that or not as one of the, you know, key components?
0: So, I mean, you know, typically when you're just having one insight into one visit, it's hard to say, was that, was that medically necessary? Right. But to me, this was fairly clear because I had
1: exactly. those
0: five visits in a row. And it, it wasn't medically necessary. Right,
1: because he had had that. He was, it was kind of dealing with one issue over multiple days. That's right. Yeah. Interesting example. that's yeah. kind of what makes it fun, right, is that there's never, I mean, You get a lot of the same kinds of scenarios, but you get some that are just unique and different and makes it interesting.
0: That's right. I love being an auditor.
1: Good. Well, that is a good thing for somebody in your position. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your your time and your expertise. Really appreciate your visit.
0: Thank you for having me, CJ. All
1: right. Uh, Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Until next time, happy compliance.